uh, be found in the book of Jude. And we'll be there. And like I said, we've probably got about uh, two more studies after tonight. And we'll finish up our study. Uh, those who've been with us, uh, we know we've talked a, a lot about a lot of different things in this study. But go ahead and find Jude and also find that passage I gave you. And I'll do my best to remember to call on you in a few minutes. Jude, right there in the back of the Bible. Uh, you find Revelation, the last book, back up one. It's a little bitty tiny book of Jude. It's not one that gets a lot of attention. Um, I don't know if I've heard many people who have given their life verse from the book of Jude. Uh, but it's an important book, and uh, we want to know what God has to say in that little book of Jude. Let me ask you while you're finding your place. Have you ever watched an appraiser or an expert, uh, whether in person or on television, look at something valuable or potentially valuable, like a piece of furniture or an autograph or a coin or something along those lines? Everybody kind of know what I'm talking about? What do those experts do? I want your feedback here. What do they do when they look at those items? All right, they check the condition of it. All right, to look for dates or markings. Okay. They write down details of what they are seeing. Okay, they write down details. All right, they see if it's a fake. Exactly. And and you're leaning towards where I'm going with this. Um, They really come down and they look at that piece as carefully as they can. They're looking for the distinguishing features and marks, and they're looking first of all to make sure it's real, because that makes the biggest difference. And some of you may have seen like the Antiques Roadshow. People come in there thinking they've got a you know piece that might be worth 20 bucks and it might be a national treasure. And people who come in there thinking that they have a national treasure, it's not even worth two bucks. But, I mean, it comes down a lot of times to whether or not it's real. And it comes down to the truth of this matter. You've heard this saying before. Appearances can be what? Deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. And we started the book of Jude off with that thought. You remember I brought my gold coin? I remember my gold coin I brought... I talked to you about just how valuable one of these gold coins is if it were the real thing. This is a a, a token, and it's not nearly as valuable. But we're going to be talking about and looking at that fact tonight that appearances can be deceiving. And we're going to talk about, again, these apostates. And I'll be honest with you, I'll be glad to be done with the apostates for a while. These people are not pleasant people. But I want to give you, again, that definition of who and what an apostate is. And I've given to you this uh, many times. So if you've heard it many times, it's a good review. If you've never heard it before, then, then listen carefully. Simply put, a, an apostate or one who's um, practicing apostasy is one who's turned away from the faith. Uh, they're not a child of God who's you know, fallen from grace because we know the Bible teaches if you're truly born again, then you're eternally secure. These are people who have received light but not life. Uh, They profess to be saved, but they're really not saved. And they may have received the written word of God somehow, and they might have liked it emotionally or whatever, but they've never received the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they profess to be a, a, a Christian, but they don't possess Christ. They're an apostate. And as you know, if you've read any of Jude, or you've been with us any time, or we'll see it again tonight, Jude and the Holy Spirit, they don't paint a very nice picture of the apostates. Uh, Jude describes them back in the early part of the book. Uh, In fact, go back in verse 4. It says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, 
who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember these apostates he was talking about here in the book of Jude. They were attacking the grace of God and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So think about that, how awful it is to attack the grace of God. And if we're not for the grace of God, we'd all be lost tonight, wouldn't we? We'd be in hell tonight. And they were attacking the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And deity simply means what? That he is God. He's God in the flesh. You know, when he came, uh, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The incarnation. Y'all remember way back, was it, I think it was the book of Galatians, we talked about the incarnation. God. Uh, Jesus, who is God, became man without ceasing to be God. Remember that definition? And we quizzed on it, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these apostates, maybe without even realizing it, uh, are attacking the fundamentals of the faith in many regards. And Satan is using them to stir up trouble. Jude says that they crept in. That's the picture almost of like vermin, isn't it? Or pests that creep in unnoticed. And they were turning, uh, trying to turn people away from the Lord. Now we come down tonight, and he's been describing them. Um, and we've been going back to the Old Testament a lot. Uh, we talked about that they were following the footsteps of Cain and Korah and Balaam. Uh, we talked about how that they're uh, like Solomon and Gomorrah and the cities and so forth. And tonight we come down to verse number 12. And Jude paints some word pictures, very vivid word pictures about these people, these apostates. He takes us all the way back this time to the beginning of what we know of life, back to the beginning to the seventh from Adam. So we're talking about all the way back to the Garden of Eden. All the way back to creation. Now, did God start at the creation? In other words, was, was God here before the creation? Let me ask you that way. Yes, God is eternal. Always has been, always will be. Uh, no beginning, no end. He is eternal. But there was a time when He spoke the world into existence. He created us. What we know of life was begun. All the way back in Genesis. And he shares with us some of his prophecies. So he's going to give us some word pictures. He's going to share back some prophecies from Enoch. And to say it another way, we're going to take a stroll tonight through Jude's art gallery. Then we're going to listen to a sermon from yesteryear. And then we're going to see the apostate's mouth in action. Okay? That's what we're going to do tonight. Now, if you like art galleries, you're probably excited. If you don't, you're probably nervous. But let's see what we're talking about. Let's read these verses together. Take a stroll through Jude's art gallery, beginning at verse 12. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Do you see how vividly he paints these word pictures? Talking about clouds and the sea and all these sorts of things. Well, let's look at each one of these paintings one by one. And as we look at these paintings, I want you to look very closely at them. And I want you to see exactly what he's trying to get across under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Notice the first one is a painting of a love feast. A love feast. And if you'll notice at the beginning of verse 12, these are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Now you might be wondering, what in the world is a love feast? Well, 
We believe it was a meal that was eaten by the early church prior to the taking of the Lord's Supper. And uh, it was eaten in connection with that. It, it was meant to, to foster fellowship and love and unity among the believers. But sadly, these love feasts got out of hand in the early church. In fact, it had gotten so bad that the Apostle Paul had to address the Corinthians on this very issue. Now, I don't know who I gave 1 Corinthians 11 to, but this is 1 Corinthians 11, 20 through 22. And as you read, try to read as loudly as you can, but listen to what Paul said about the love feast. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Thank you. If you caught that, what he was saying is, listen, when you come together, you know, this eating of the love feast had gotten out of hand. He talked about there, one is hungry and another is drunk. Now, do you think that's a good thing to have going on before you partake of the Lord's Supper? Absolutely not. Um, he talks about their shaming others. It, what, what should have been beautiful and awesome and wonderful uh, had become anything but that. And Jude says about these uh, apostates here that there are spots in your love feast and they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. And we've noticed over and over again, the apostate was all about themselves and bolstering up themselves. Now, if you step back and look at this love feast, and this painting that we're looking at, look at it very carefully, you're going to notice that it's painted aboard a ship. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, step back and look for a moment, and you're going to see this love feast is taking place on the ship, and this ship is about to run up on the rocks. You say, preacher, have you been drinking before you came tonight? No, I haven't. Now listen, I want to show you. If you go back in the Greek, where it says these are spots in your love feast, or these are blemishes, Many of you probably have spots. Do you have anything else there in your translation? Blemishes. Blemishes, spots in your love feast. It could also be rendered this way, sunken rocks or hidden rocks. And here's what the idea is. They were headed for shipwreck. That's the idea. There were sunken rocks and hidden rocks. We think about a shipwreck. We might think about the Titanic and that iceberg. And you just see the tip. But underneath is lurking something that brought about destruction. Now, if you've ever been on a boat or a ship, if you enjoy that kind of thing, maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you dread getting on one. Regardless, if you get on a boat or a ship, one thing you do not want to do is to do what? You don't want to run up on rocks or anything that's hidden below the water. And so if you go back there, it could be translated that these, if you will, these are sunken rocks or hidden rocks. In other words, they were seeking to, to, to move the church toward ruin and shipwreck. There were spots in their love feast, those hidden rocks, those sunken ships. Not a pretty picture, but Jude is not done yet. If we move on to the next painting in verse number 12, it says... They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. So as we move to this next painting, we see what looks like a scene of some rain clouds. And, and those are wonderful things. But if you look a bit closer at that picture, we notice something about the landscape. While it looks like there are rain clouds, we notice the land is dry and parched and barren. Those rain clouds have not produced any rain whatsoever. The clouds are there, but there is no rain. 
Now, this is talking about the apostates. Let's get some more scripture on that. Who has Luke 12, 54? I do. All right. And he was also saying to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it turns out. All right, thank you. That's the normal thing, right? When rain clouds move in, what do you have? Rain. That's not what happened to the apostates. Who has Proverbs twenty five fourteen? Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. All right, so there's the picture. In other words, if you will, these apostates looked very promising, but they delivered nothing. We told you before that when you looked at the apostates, they didn't come out saying, hey, we are apostates. We're here to ruin everything and wreck all your lives in the church. No, they crept in unnoticed. They were probably very decent looking. They were probably people you wanted to be a part of the church. But they professed one thing, but they did not possess the Lord Jesus Christ. They maybe used the same words, but they had a different meaning by how they used them. They were clouds, rain clouds without water. Now, living where we do, we know the importance of rain. Right? Where we live, we understand the importance of rain. Give it a couple of weeks with no rain, and I guarantee you, especially during growing season, when we have prayer requests on a Sunday, one of those requests is going to be what? Rain. Why? Because without rain, what happens? Well, we die. Things die. Crops don't grow. And so rain is life-giving. These apostates were not. Well, we move on to the next scene as we meander our way through Jude's uh, art gallery here. And we find next is an autumn scene, a fall scene. And if you notice what he says there in verse 12, uh, it says there, um, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Now, we notice this, this scene, these, these autumn trees. But as you look at the painting, the autumn trees are no longer standing. In fact, they've been yanked up by the roots they're laying there. And if you look a little bit closer, you'll notice that there are all kinds of bushel baskets there to gather the fruit. But you know what? The bushel baskets are empty. Why? Because the trees produce no fruit. He says they're like late autumn trees, but they're twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Who has Matthew fifteen thirteen? All right. Read it there, brother, if you would. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Did you hear that? He said, I'll read it again. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. And then, who has Proverbs 2.22? I do. All right. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be torn from it. All right, will be torn from it or uprooted from it. The wicked shall be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful be uprooted from it. These apostates produce no fruit. Why? Because they were dead. And you know what? Those who are still dead in their sin cannot, will not produce spiritual fruit. Because in order for fruit to be produced, there must be life. That's the case in nature, right? You've got a fruit tree and it's dead. Uh, when harvest season comes, you aren't getting anything. Maybe some dead branches or whatever. You have to have a life in order to bring about the fruit. So we see again, truly appearances can be deceiving. Here they are, these beautiful autumn trees. They should be producing fruit, but they're not. And he says they're twice dead, pulled up by the roots. So again, 
Not a pretty picture. These apostates are not the company uh, you want to keep. But we move on to another painting. Well, maybe it could get better. I was going to move now from the autumn trees. We're going to the ocean. Now, I love the ocean. I love going to the beach, and I love that kind of setting. But I want you to notice what it says in verse 13. Raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. Raging waves of the sea. So, in other words, as you look at it, you're looking at a picture, and it's not a calm, you know, beautiful picture. It's a picture of a stormy sea. Now, what could that be? Well, who has Isaiah 57, 20 through 21? All right, if you'd read that, please. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Thank you. Does that not fit what he's saying there? And just say it again. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. This is not a picture of a beautiful, calm sea with just nice rolling waves. It's a tumultuous um, picture there. And one author noted it would be kind of like when you see an ocean that's waging uh, with the waves and all, and, and, and each wave brings up litter and garbage and pollutants from the sea and are just polluting the whole area. I remember we went out to the West Coast one time. You know, I grew up here in North Carolina, and, and when I think of the coast, I think of, you know, the outer, well, we went to the Outer Banks where we lived in that kind of area and whatnot and different places, and, you know, beautiful. We went to the West Coast. Remember this, Danielle? And we wanted to put our, our feet in the... Uh, you know, the ocean there. And, and, and so we went out there and I was expecting what we're used to having, but it wasn't like that. And I'm sure different beaches are different ways of it. But I remember I went out there and there's all kinds of stuff all over the beach. And just, you know, it wasn't the nicest thing. Did find a lot of sand dollars and uh, things like that. But, uh, you know, the picture when the ocean brings up garbage and pollutants and all that stuff. That's a picture of these apostates. It's a picture of these apostates. They're raging waves of the sea. So, so we got one more painting to look at. And we're already depressed, right? I mean, these apostates, every week we look at them, we just get more and more depressed. Well, there's one more uh, picture here. And we go from the sea to the stars. Okay, so we're going a great distance. And it says in verse 13, that they're wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Okay, well, let's think about it for a moment. It's the scene of a wandering star. Now, what's wrong with that? Stars aren't supposed to do what? They're not supposed to wander. We call those usually what? Shooting star, right? Now, I want you to notice where this wandering star was headed. It says they're wandering stars for whom is reserved, they have a reservation, where? In the blackness of darkness forever. In other words, they were headed, well, let's, who asked Matthew 8, 12? All right, if you read that, please. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you. Where eventually will all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ spend eternity? In hell. There will be weeping, gnashing of teeth, darkness, pain, gnawing on their... I mean, just, it's just a horrific scene in Scripture. A horrific scene of what's waiting them. And they don't have to go there. If they'll turn from their sin to Christ, they can have eternal life and live forever in glory with Him. 
But these apostates do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we said what? They, they despise the grace of God. They rejected the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, you can't do that and go to heaven. You can't do that and be saved. Why? Because if it were not for the grace of God, we would not have Christ. And if he is not God, then he's not our Savior. He cannot be our Savior. If Jesus is just another man, even a good man, even a good prophet, but that's all he is, we're lost. We're fools. We're condemned and damned to hell forever. But he's not just a man. He's the God man. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he lives, we can live. But these apostates, they're headed for the darkness and blackness forever. And here's the thing. The apostates, we've said before in our study, are still alive and well today. They're still in the church today. But here's the thing. Those that were being talked about right here in the book of Jude, they're in hell tonight. Think about that. They're in hell tonight. Still in hell. They'll still be in hell 10,000 years from now. They'll still be in hell a million years from now. They'll still be in hell 10 million years from now. We forget, men and women, children of God, we forget just how long eternity is and just how hot hell is. We need to be actively seeking to win the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, would you be honest with me? As you walk through Jude's art gallery, it's not the kind of place you want to visit very often, is it? It's not the most pleasant place, but it's the truth. Judas writing of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about these apostates, these who have denied the faith. So we're going to leave Jude's art gallery for a moment. We're going to go over and we're going to head over and listen to a sermon from yesteryear. Listen to a sermon from yesteryear. Let me tell you, I've got a CD at home and it's, it's got some voices from the past. It's pretty interesting. There's a little clip on there of D.L. Moody. And you can listen to D.L. Moody. There's a little clip on there of Ira Sankey, the songwriter, singing. There's a clip on there, remember, from William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Uh, There's a clip on there of the evangelist Billy Sunday, among others. And it's very interesting to hear what these men sounded like. Uh, You know, we read about them, read their books, we've been influenced by them. We see how God used their lives. But to hear their voice, and just like always, when you hear somebody's voice but you never saw them, You know, they sound different than you thought they would. And we know what they look like by their pictures. Um, But uh, it's interesting to hear them. Now, we are going here in Jude back to the beginning as we know it. To the garden, to a man named Enoch. Now, I'll be honest with you, they didn't have any CDs back then. Uh, They didn't have eight tracks or uh, records or anything back then. So we don't have a recording of his voice. But what we do have is we have the Holy Spirit through Jude has given us part of one of his sermons. Look at Jude. Verse 14, here's the man Enoch. Now, before we read it, you remember who Enoch was, right? Let me, let me start a sentence if you can finish it. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. What does that mean? Yeah, Enoch was one of two men in the Bible who never died. Somebody said it's kind of like this, that he and God were walking along one day. And God said, Enoch, well, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? Uh, He's one of two men who never died. Uh, Who's the other one? Elijah. Elijah. Yeah, exactly. Enoch Enoch was a godly man. He walked with God. And he went on without dying. But let's see what he said here in his his message, in his verses 14 and 15. Don't you wish I preached that short? (laughs) This this can't be the whole. This is part of one of his prophecies. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So we're going all the way back to Adam, the first man. 
the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Now, wait a minute. Who are we talking about here in Jude? The apostates. Now, you're telling me now, this is what God's word says. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Yes, those who would deny the Lord. And it would apply to those who still deny the Lord. Saying what? Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, I want to say this tonight. He was a godly man. He was quite a prophet. He was quite a preacher. And he didn't mince words. Notice how many times he talked about being ungodly in that passage. And he preached a strong message. And it was a message of doom upon these apostates. Now, we could have spent the whole night talking about Enoch's message. We really could have pulled those two verses out and just looked at those tonight. But I want to look at them in the context of all the apostates as it's sitting here. And I want to look at it. Basically, way back in Genesis, what you have here is he speaks about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to process that for a moment. Way back in Genesis, the seventh from Adam, only removed that many times from Adam, he speaks about the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, that is awesome. Look at it again. Here's what he says, verse 14. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. Let's have a quick abbreviated prophecy lesson. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I'm, I'm pre-trib and pre-meal. I'm pre-millennial. I'm pre-tribulation. I believe that the Lord will come for his church and rapture us out before the tribulation begins. I believe the Lord Jesus will come and then set up his kingdom upon the earth. That's what I believe. If you don't believe that, that's fine. Um, I won't argue with you. I won't debate with you. And uh, one day you'll find out you're wrong. But here's what I want you to see. Real quickly, a prophecy lesson, okay? We don't have time to get too deep. And this is the book of Jude, not Daniel and Revelation. But basically we have the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the empty tomb. Right? And it's empty today. And because of that, we can have a new life in Christ as we trust Him. And we're now in the church age. Tell you what. For my birthday, y'all are going to buy me some new markers, I hope, right? Let's get a new marker. So here we are in the church age. Now, the next great event on God's timetable for prophecy is what is called the rapture of the church. And in the rapture of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ comes for his church. He comes for his bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we go to be with him during that time. And that's going to be an awesome time. It's going to be a wonderful time. We're raptured out. We'll be rejoicing with the Lord during this time. We think we'll have what is the, uh, I didn't write all this down, so I do it from memory, the judgment seat of Christ. What's the judgment seat of Christ? We'll stand before him. We'll be judged according to our works. Not for salvation. That's been decided the moment we trusted Christ. We'll be judged for our works. We'll be rewarded for our works. Some will suffer loss. They themselves shall be saved, yet so as by fire. If there is any mourning or, or weeping, it would be very brief. You know, I think there would be a lot of regret that we didn't do more for the Lord Jesus. We didn't, we didn't pray more. We didn't win more to the Lord or whatever. But that will be over. And we'll be enjoying all that in heaven. We won't go into all those details. But the church has been taken out. And we have what is called, you want to know? The tribulation. 
This is why I say I'm pre-trib. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ will come and rapture us before the tribulation begins. There are those who are mid-tribbers. You know, how long is the tribulation? Seven years. So they say three and a half years, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. No. This is pre-trib. That's what I hold to. Many conservative Bibles. Now, there are good men who hold to mid-trib. Then there are post-trib. Guess what they believe? We don't get out till after the tribulation. We have to go through the tribulation. Uh, eh, wrong. All right. Pre-trib. Tribulation takes point in place uh, upon the earth. At the end of the seven years, now here we have the rapture of the church. We have what is known as the second coming of Christ. And he comes, and he comes this time literally upon the earth. And he establishes his kingdom upon the earth. And he rules with a rod of iron. And his millennial kingdom. And, I, and this, is a, this is abbreviated summary, okay? We could spend weeks and months talking about this. But he rules in his millennial kingdom. How long is the millennium? Thousand. thousand years. And he's ruling and reigning upon the earth. And then at the end of that, we have other things. And eventually we go to the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment are for those who are lost. Uh, you read about it and we'll read about it, I think. Yeah, we'll read about it in a few minutes. The great white throne judgment. Those who are lost. You won't be there if you know Jesus. Um, I heard Adrian Rogers the other day when he was preaching, talking about people pray ignorantly. Lord, please be with us at the great white throne. He said, don't pray that for me. I don't want to be at the great white throne. And I won't be. And you won't be if you know the Lord Jesus. And then we go from here on into eternity. Uh, so real quickly, here's what Enoch was talking about. Here, the Lord comes for his saints. Here, at the second coming, he comes with them. Now I want you to go back to Enoch, what he says there in Jude 14. And Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes, what? With ten thousands of his saints. So what's he talking about ultimately? I believe he's only talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that is us. We come with him. Now here's what's awesome about it. What's he coming to do? He's coming to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You know, we have his millennial reign. We have the great white throne judgment. Now, here's what I want you to get from this. What Enoch is saying is, listen, their days are numbered. Their days are numbered. Everybody's days are numbered. Wickedness will not go on forever. Uh, this is a very abbreviated uh, prophecy summary here. But we know that that day is coming. And let's read about the great white throne. Because these men, these apostates, are doomed. Remember, they're not just unbelievers. These are those who deny the faith. and uh, But likewise, those who are just unbelievers. Those who put off getting saved and died before they did. Those who just outright deny the Lord, those who are atheists, those who are good, moral, decent people who, depending on their own self-righteousness, but never trusted Christ, they're going to be at the great white throne judgment because they're lost. They're going to spend eternity in hell. Uh, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name and that in your name. Many wonderful, fine, decent folk will be there. Sad to say, many church members will be in hell. So how is that possible? Being a church member doesn't save you. Being a Baptist doesn't save you. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ saves you. 
Huh? It helps. I don't know. I think I'm afraid hell will be a lot hotter for Baptists to sit in the pew and heard the gospel every Sunday, don't you? Yeah. Let's look at the right way of throwing judgment. Now, this 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 is not something we read with a grin on our face. This is the awful we're about to read. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. It didn't matter who you were here. You could be a king, a prince, or pauper. It didn't, didn't matter. You're going to stand before God if you don't know the Lord Jesus, the great white throne. He saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book excuse me, of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. You can't escape it. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast to the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now I want you to get a hold of this, beloved. Enoch prophesies about that. Well, I'm not getting ultimately specific, but he prophesies way back in Genesis. Listen, the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all these ungodly people. Now, we're still warning people about that tonight. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, all of them are going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And the difference between heaven and hell is the Lord Jesus Christ. That cross is the bridge that they must travel in order to get to God. And so we have to be telling them to repent of their sin. Turn from your sin to Jesus. And Enoch, way back when, prophesied. Now, we're running short on time. We've spent a lot of time tonight in Jude's art gallery. We've taken some time to listen to a sermon from yesteryear. We've got one more thing to look at. And I wish we could finish on a pleasant note, but we've got to talk about the apostate's mouth. You know any mouthy people? Don't, don't, don't answer out loud. <laughs> I mean, people that just, you know, they say they run off at the mouth. They say things up, not to say they put their foot in the mouth. They say inappropriate things. Well, I mean, the, your mouth can get you in trouble, can it? Your mouth is, a, my mouth is a raging fire. I mean, they, we could go back and read in the Bible about the mouth. Our words carry a lot of weight. I don't know who came up with that stupid saying about sticks and stones. If I break my bones, your words will never hurt me. That's just ignorant. They hurt deeply. But I want to focus for a few minutes as we close up tonight on the mouth of the apostate. See the apostate's mouth in action and see just how they use their mouths. Verse 16. These, okay, it's just talked about who? These ungodly sinners, these apostates. These are, you ready? Grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words. Flattering people to gain advantage. I want you to notice the descriptive words again. They're grumblers. They're complainers. They use swelling words. Flattering others. They do not walk by faith. They do not walk in love. They walk, it says, according to their own lust. The things that their sensual a physical body craves. They speak flattering words to other people. Why? For their own advantage. Listen, if somebody flatters you, 
you need to have a red flag waving and say, okay, I've got to be careful about this person because they're seeking to flatter me. They're seeking to butter me up so they can cut me pretty soon. Uh, I'm not talking about someone that's being nice to you or maybe pointing out how nice you look. I mean flatterers. You, you know some people like that? You know what I'm talking about. You've talked to those people. Jude says these apostates, like, they're very skillful with their mouth. They're very talented with their mouth. And so as you look at their mouth and you look at their description and you look at their doom and you look at all that we've looked at tonight and in the previous weeks, what do we take away from this? We spent all this time in Jude's art gallery. We spent all this time listening to Enoch way back in the garden uh, prophesying about their doom. We, we look at their mouth and see just how wicked they are, grumblers and complainers and all that goes with the flattering and seeking to build themselves up as they uh, have their own lust in mind. What do we do with this tonight? Well, I think several things. I think, first of all, we certainly need to be reminded and warned to beware of the apostates and to contend for the faith. We had a whole message on that. But go back in uh, verse uh, number, uh, let's see, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. To defend the faith, to stand up for the truth. To speak the truth in the midst of lying and flattery and grumbling and all that. To stand and say, thus says the Lord. Listen, the Bible is the final authority for us. Period. It's the final authority. And so we have to contend for the faith. But listen, let's just be honest about it. A lot of this is depressing. It's getting hot here now. Maybe I just need to calm down. A lot of this is depressing. And when you look at these apostates, you think about their doom. And listen, we shouldn't be happy anybody's going to hell, should we? Our hearts should be broken over those who are lost without Christ. Everybody needs Christ. Everybody needs salvation. The rapist, the drug addict, the child molester. And I think they should be certainly punished for what they did. And justice should prevail. But listen, we don't want to spend eternity in hell. They need to be saved and turn from their sin to Christ. But listen. In the midst of all this depressing stuff, I see something very encouraging. In the midst of Jude, I see something very encouraging. You say, what is it? The Lord is coming again. The Lord is coming again. As wicked and as wild and as horrible as our world is becoming, as much evil as we see all around us. You mentioned earlier about these people getting killed. All these things going on. The Lord is coming again. And listen, the Lord is coming to set things straight. This wickedness and evil will not go on forever. One day it will be judged. One day it will be condemned. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming again. And here's the thing we need to remember. He is our focus. I can't just keep my eyes on the evil and wickedness. I'll be so down in the dumps. I'll be able to function. I can't just keep my eyes just on the apostates. I've got to contend for the faith and I've got to stand for the truth. But I can't have my focus there. My focus must be upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Did I give anybody Hebrews 12? All right, I, got it. I want you to listen to this verse, these two verses, Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. This is the ladies' theme verse, I believe you, you share with us on Sunday. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto whom? Unto Jesus. Why do we look at Jesus? He's the author and finisher of our faith. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the midst of our Christian walk, beloved, our focus, like a laser beam, must be stayed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. I love what Maxwell Coder, he's got a little commentary on Jude, it's a classic. I love what he said about uh, the child of God contrasting them with the apostates. Listen as I give this to you. He's talking about those of us who know Christ and then the apostates. He said, instead of being lifeless, dangerous rocks, Christians, you and I, we're living stones. 1 Peter 2.5 Rather than being waterless clouds, we are sources of living water. John 7.38 Far from being dead trees, we're called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Isaiah 61.3 In contrast with raging waves, we have peace like a river and righteousness as the waves of the sea. Isaiah 48.18 Whereas wandering stars have reserved for them the blackness of darkness forever, true believers shine as the stars forever and ever. Daniel 12, 3. Beloved, that's awesome. And that's ours, not because of our righteousness. Not because of we're somebody and we're so great. No, it's ours because we have Christ and Christ has us. Because even greater, and we're going to close with this, even greater is what he said when he contrasted the apostates and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he said. He said, Jesus, he's the rock of our salvation, but they are hidden rocks threatening shipwreck to the faith. He comes with clouds to refresh his people forever. They're clouds which do not even bring temporary blessing. He is a tree of life. These are trees of death. He leads beside the still waters. They're like the restless troubled sea. He's the bright and morning star heralding the coming day. They are wandering stars passing a night of eternal dark. Praise God. Praise God for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, do you know him tonight? Do you have eternal life? Have you turned from your sin to Christ? If not, one day you'll lift up your eyes in hell. One day you'll stand before the great white throne. One day you'll be judged according to your works and be cast to the lake of fire. Friend, don't let it happen. Trust him now. But as a child of God, as I read all this and studied this, I could not help but cry. Even so come Lord Jesus. Here's what I want to leave you with tonight. And we're going to leave. Don't grow weary and discouraged, Christian. Don't grow weary and discouraged. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't know what's going on around you. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you face on a daily basis. But I want to tell you this again. Keep your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. Why do we ignore the book of Jude? It's an awesome little book, isn't it? I mean, it's just chock full. Why? Because it's God's Word. We're probably going to spend two more times in it. And then we'll move on. We're out of time. We need to pray. And let me say, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Next time, grab somebody by the scuff of the neck and bring them with you. And uh, we'll have double the crown. Right? Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you and thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for this word tonight from your word. We thank you for the promise of eternal life through the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he's coming again. We thank you that one day all the evil and wickedness that we see will be cast down, will be judged, will be condemned forever. We thank you that our Savior, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords will rule forever and ever and ever. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to stand for you. Help us to stand for your truth and your word. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you for their kind attention tonight to your word. I pray that each one's been encouraged and challenged. And help us, Lord, even this week, to be out warning others that Jesus is coming again. That people need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We pray this in his lovely and precious name. Amen and amen.